New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guests today are book authors Doug Lennick and Chuck Watchendorfer. They are the authors of Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It. Doug is the founding CEO, and Chuck is the president of distribution at Think to Perform, a high-performance leadership development firm serving small and large organizations in a variety of industries. Today, we'll be discussing their book, Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It, and some of the things that leaders can expect to take away to apply to their own lives. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Gabriella. We're happy to be here. Yeah, very happy. Excited, actually. The the second chapter in your book talks about the leadership logic chain, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time there. Essentially, the leadership logic chain is the word, the phrase that you've coined to describe a series of stages that, when successfully executed and put together, lead to desired outcomes. And the chain goes something like this, self-awareness, leading to effective decision-making, leading into effective self-management, and ultimately then effective leadership. And when I read that list, I thought Steve Martin where he says he's going to share how to make a million dollars and not pay taxes. And he says, first, make a million dollars. Second, don't pay taxes. Because drilling into these things is hard. And because you're both extremely experienced leadership development professionals and the authors of this book that unpacks all this stuff, I wanted to dive into the nitty gritty and first develop self-awareness. Chuck, you relate a story in which one of your colleagues points out that you you, at the time, often said you were worn out. Now, yes. you're a leadership guy. You know all this stuff. And you had somebody point this out to you. So what are some of the ways and actual tactics that people can employ to become more self-aware? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it, the, the story itself illustrates that we can always get better. Just because I know the content doesn't mean I always use it like I should. And if I share with other people and they see me kind of deep, Deviating, they can enable me in a positive way to get back on track. Living in alignment is not a lifetime achievement award. You know, humans are fallible. The story that you're pointing out is one where I lacked my own self-awareness and was talking about my day. And my friend pointed out that I talk about being worn out and exhausted a lot. And I started paying attention to how often I said that when people would ask me, how am I doing? I'd say, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm worn out. And what I realized was my friend was right. So it wasn't even my own self-awareness. It was her self-awareness about my behavior that helped me become more self-aware. And so the exercise we talk about in the book, and the book is a toolkit. It's a, we, we equip it with tools that people can use to make a difference in their own lives or in the lives of other people in a positive way, we hope. And the tool that we use and talk about in the book that helps us improve self-awareness is the freeze. And the freeze is three simple things. What am I thinking? How am I feeling? What am I doing? Why those three things? Because those are the three components of the human experience. I'm always thinking, I'm always feeling, I'm always doing. And athletes talk about being in the zone. Being in the zone is being physically, mentally, and emotionally present. When athletes are in the zone, they perform at their best. If you ask any pro athlete, 
Are you going to win the Super Bowl? Are you going to win the Stanley Cup? Any athlete that's worth what they're being paid will say, I'm not worried about winning the Super Bowl. I'm worried about the next play, the next quarter, the next game. And it's about being physically, mentally, and mostly present. So if I play the freeze, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? What am I doing? And I notice I'm not paying attention. Well, then I can either go do something else, if that's where my mind is, or I could choose to pay attention. But being in the moment, Spencer Johnson talks about this book that he wrote called The Present. It's being physically, mentally, and emotionally present. When I'm self-aware to the leadership logic chain, I typically then make better choices, which enable me to manage my behavior a little bit better, which enable me to have more influence with other people. Doug, anything you'd add there? Actually, probably. I was going to say no and then add something. I always do that. <laughs> Speaking of self-awareness, no, but let me add something. Uh, I, I think that's it. Hits it right on the head. I would add one bonus question to the three. And, and this bonus question, could I be doing something better? Could I think something better or could I do something better, different, better? Because I get to decide what to think. I get to decide what to do. I don't get to decide how I feel emotionally. So, but I do get to decide what to do. And and one of the this is for the advanced course. We very rarely break into this this early, Gabriella. But since you brought it up, the advanced course is if somebody wants to feel better, most people are inclined to want to feel better, and they're waiting for somebody or something to happen outside of themselves so that they feel better. But this is the weird, terrible, this is so silly. It's, a, it's like, it's almost, no, it can't be true. If you want to feel better, do something that makes you feel better. If you want to feel better, think about things that make you feel better. Your thoughts are usually driving your emotions if you go from inside out. But if you go outside in, your emotions will drive your thoughts. So that's the difference. And what Chuck and I are trying to do is say, hey, you have the authority to decide what to think and do. The advantage goes to those who exercise that authority. One of the things, Chuck, you touched on it briefly was that your initial response to your colleague who suggested this was resistance, which is why you then started mm -hmm. paying extra attention. Is self-awareness often uncomfortable? Is that something that people should understand that if you're being really honest, sometimes self-awareness can be uncomfortable. I think so. But first of all, we we aren't unaware all of the time. Some people are less aware than others, hmm. and they usually suffer with bad relationships, poor decision-making. So you think about you know mistakes you've made in your own life. Usually it's because we lack self-awareness. Usually it's because we got emotional in a situation and we reacted to it. And so the point of self-awareness, the point of playing the freeze game, and we advocate playing the freeze game five or six times a day for the rest of your life, because what you'll start to notice is when you're happy, when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're hungry. And if you believe that when people are happier, they do better, to mm. Doug's point, notice when you're happy. And we're also looking for patterns. Like I'm typically happy when I'm doing these things with these people. I typically am bored or stressed when I'm doing these things with this people, with these people. And what happens is we start to notice patterns in our lives. And every pattern we have is a pattern because at some point it works for us. 
Exactly. You wouldn't have leaned into it otherwise. One of the things is you also mention in the book a leader who the team joked she was the three o'clock monster, that this was she just went sort of not so nice to work with around three Mm o'clock and that one of her team members, a brave soul, kind of shared this with her and and she adjusted or they adjusted. Now, that's it, it begs a couple of questions, which is. How can we help the people we report to, our leaders, be more self-aware without suffering consequences? That's question one. And question two, we can only change ourselves. And we're rarely Mm. the pinnacle of an organization. If we have a difficult leader, how do we use our own self-awareness to evaluate the system of working so that we behave, so we are more successful, even if we can't change them? Like if we can't change the three o'clock monster, how, how can we navigate that? You made a great point. We can only change ourselves. So we can't change the three o'clock monster, but we can influence the three o'clock monster to decide to change. Okay. So we do have the opportunity because leadership, as we define it, is that which one does to influence the behavior of another. And I'll give you a funny story of what you just said. Chuck knows this story. I happened to be in the room at the time of this particular story. A guy by used to report to was the CEO of our company was named Jeff. And Jeff was very, very intense, very, very driven. Learned a lot from Jeff. And but his intensity sometimes would show up on his face and would be misread as anger. So here's this intense guy who would get on the elevator in our big building and the executive floor was the the 28th floor and people would ride up this floor. I think it was 20, it doesn't matter what floor it was, but you'd have to pass all these other floors. Jeff would be intense, looking angry. Business was going really, really well. And all of a sudden, Jeff was thinking, what's happening here with the business? Business is going great. He looked angry. People were asking me, what's wrong with Jeff? And Mm -hmm. I said, Jeff's fine. But I went into his office one day and I said, hey, Jeff. I got all these people wondering what you're upset about. Business has been so good. I actually didn't ask it that way. I said this, Jeff, let me ask you a question. He said, what? I'm standing by his desk. I overlooked the desk. He said, what? I said, I'm just wondering how you're feeling about everything. I said, people are working really hard. Our results have been great. Quarter after quarter, we've been breaking every record. Year, it's been unbelievable. And he said, I feel great about that. And I said, would you mind telling your face? That's and he awesome. said, what? I said, <laughs> your face looks angry. But oh, you just awesome. feel great. And if you just told your face, then your face, which is what everybody looks at, would see, hey, Jeff seems like really upbeat today. You right. must feel so if you told your face, then your face would tell everybody else. Now, right. when I said that that wasn't the exact right way to say it right away but it was funny and he took it and he then he realized well sometimes humor is a great tool to to use to say a hard message in a friendly like i like you i'm this is fun we're having a nice we're we're engaging in a way that you know i care about you you know these things but but it also delivers this this message, which is which is true. Noticing patterns, which you you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and and you also talked about how we lean into them because they were successful. And how can we shed patterns that were successful? 
but are no longer successful. In the book, you talk about changing behaviors, and this is obviously linked to that, and both external and internal cognitive behavior. Now, has anyone who has struggled to lose weight can tell you sometimes defining what needs to change is a lot easier than actually changing it. So what helps sustain behavioral change if results are incremental and not immediately obvious? Yeah, it's a great question, Gabriella. I think back to your earlier point, self-awareness does require courage sometimes because I have to look at myself in the mirror and, and take ownership and responsibility for how my life is. My life today is a product of my actions and behavior over the last few years. And if I want my life to be different five years from now, it begins with me changing my behavior today. And what we like to say at Think to Perform is changing behavior is simple, but not easy. Ah, If we're losing weight, stopping smoking, whatever it is, starting exercise. I mean, any of those things we've tried to do, it's simple. You just go to the gym and you get on the treadmill. You stop buying Oreos or you stop (laughs) eating Oreos in my case. Uh, If you want to lose weight, you eat less, you exercise more, you lose weight. To Chuck's point, that's the simple, that's simple. The hard part is, there, are those two things? It's, it's the doing of it. Yeah. Right. So, so to, to, to the point you're, I think, starting to make, what I want to think about is how can I incrementally change my behavior? We talk about three stages of behavioral change. The first is noticing that self-awareness. So I notice that I don't exercise. I notice that I eat more than I thought. So if you've ever kept a food diary or an exercise mm-hmm. journal, I am eating pie. Yeah, I eat a lot more ice cream and pizza than I thought. So that's that's noticing. That's the first stage. The second stage is understanding. Like, where did I start that? Where did that pattern begin? So quick story. I I worked with a very successful guy about 10 years ago. His first name is Jeff. And Jeff was very successful and lonely. Mm -hmm. And he hired me to help him get balanced in his life. Made in excess of seven figures every year, was 45 years old, had no personal relationship, wanted to have a family, you know, but one of the things that he would notice is that he would go home at the end of a long day, have dinner and work at his desk until three o'clock in the morning. And he would fall asleep at his desk. Not going to meet people and, there. <laughs> right. And, and so we're having this conversation about what he's noticing. And I said, Jeff, where did you learn that you had to work like that? And without any hesitation, he said, I'm dyslexic. And so to get through college, I had to work two or three times harder, harder than everybody else to get through school. And that was what Jeff needed to get through college. But he continued that pattern of behavior into his 40s. And so what happens is as we get older, our lives change. Some of those patterns stop working. They start to hold us back. So it's noticing. It's understanding where I learned that. And then the third stage is deciding. So Mm. what am I going to do differently about that? And you know, in Jeff's case, he was 45 years old. We're not going to fix something we've been demonstrating for 25 years in a week or a month, but we started putting in place some things that he could begin doing, like number one, not taking work home. Right. Right. right? That's one way to stop working at home is not take it at home, not take it home. Don't take your laptop with you. Now that requires a little discipline, but it was a kind of like baby stepping into this. How do I start to carve out more life for my life outside the office? We've had situations where when people that are looking And balance, by the way, there is no formula for balance. Each person gets to kind of decide what it is for them. But when they want it, that means they're not getting one end of it or the other right now. They don't feel in balance. So when they say, I want to get in balance, they're saying, I am out of balance. And then they tell us what that is. 
But I had, we had a client that, that we were working with, same similar deal, seven-figure income guy. He said, I just need balance in my life. And he said, and I thought of you because I knew you could help me with that. We have this goal achievement tool we call Witty Wiffy, W-D-Y-W-F-Y. What do you want for yourself? When goal achievement is simple, not easy. And he said, I just want balance. And I said, well, would you be okay if, if we go ahead and do that? Would you, would you be all right if at the same time your income went up? He goes, well, yeah, but I, I, I won't be working as hard. I said, I know. I said, but would you be okay if, if your income went up anyway? even though you didn't feel like you were working harder because I know you're used to thinking I don't deserve more unless I work harder. So it is all right with you if your income goes up while you put more balance in your life. He said, well, yeah. And, and, and by the way, that's what happened because what happened is he became a happier, more engaged employer. Everybody worked better. He worked better. He was more productive as a happy guy than when he felt like he was out of balance. Right. And so income went up. Right. And he lives on Long Island, but he bought a, an apartment in New York City. He bought a property in Florida. He took a month off and went to Europe and everything kept going. When Chuck talks about this all the time, you know, you're doing it. And Chuck himself did this. He actually prepared people to take his job over so that he could go to Harvard for the summer. Right, right. You know, and that's in the book. But it's about helping people become who they would really like to be, but never thought possible. And that's about decisions, behavioral change, accepting, being curious. And what Chuck did really well is avoid being defensive. When you take that kind of feedback, because you were asking about the story, instead of defending himself, he, he started to recognizes, you know, maybe I should take a look at that. And that's right. hard for people because people want to defend themselves. Sometimes self-awareness can be uncomfortable. The book dives into eight leadership essentials, but rather than skate across all of them, I want to look at two of them. Now, first, knowing your real self, which is a lot of self-awareness is, is certainly a, a part mm -hmm. of this. You used a great story about a leader named Kathy who discovered that who she thought she was wasn't who she was to her employees. And in the story, she had hired an HR executive to, to create a session. And in front of her, the people <laughs> in her team went up to a whiteboard and, and wrote about who she, who she was. And it was an eye-opening experience for her. One of the things that actually struck me about the story was the sheer bravery of her staff to share in yeah. front of her what they thought. And truly, that could have gone a different way if she was a different person and if they were different people. So... If you are in a situation and you're a leader and you would like to, to get some feedback, what is a way that you can do this so that you can empower people to be honest and ruthlessly honest, but also do it in such a way that they feel safe doing it? So what's a way to set that up? Well, I think that you, the word you just used, safe, is the key to getting open and honest feedback. If, if, if there's a low trust between me and the people I'm asking the feedback from, they're not going to give me feedback. I mean, Doug and I, and our people in our firm go into situations all the time in organizations where, you know, how are things going here? And it's crickets. 
Right. It's fine. Everything, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And you know, it's not, I don't, I mean, we've been doing this for 21 years. There's not been a company that I, I, I maybe you have Doug, that I've been in where everything's perfect. When people say it's fine, it tells us like there's an issue around trust. And so I think the leader to get feedback that's accurate, open, and honest, I have to build trust first. And trust, as we talk about in the book, is for behaviors. It's telling the truth, keeping my promises, standing up for what's right, and living in alignment with principles, values, and beliefs. So if I want people to trust me, I have to demonstrate those behaviors. And it's probably not going to, if it's something I haven't been demonstrating, it's going to take me some time to to build that trust either back or build it in, in the first place to get the kind of feedback that I really want, which is open and honest. So you have so to start gonna, with the trust piece before you can get that feedback. And this is really hard, but it's really doable. And I've struggled with this myself. These are a lot of what we write about this. We ourselves have struggled with these things. A lot of the tools that we've developed and the things we've experienced are dealing with ourselves and then finding out ways to help others. But one of the things I personally have grown into appreciating way more than I once did, and that is honest feedback. Because sometimes honest feedback might not be what you would want it to be like, right? but it is how people see you. And so once I started to accept the truth about feedback, feedback is a gift. And once I accept it as a gift, it allows for me to see myself more holistically. Right. And so I want the feedback. And so once I accept it as a gift, whether the feedback is negative or positive, it's important and it's worthy of appreciation. Thank you for your feedback. Right. Well, in some ways, if somebody gives you hard feedback, that is a testament to how much they trust and feel safe telling you some of these things. Mm -hmm. Correct. And a lot of organizations lack that trust. So we've seen, so you'll see organizations that have a corporate value of innovation. (laughs) Yes, but then you can't mess up. Right. Right. You're going to get whacked. Yeah. And they say, yeah, look, we value innovation. We even put it on the wall. Yeah. How much to do? Not much. Why? Because the last time we did some innovation, someone made a mistake, got fired. <laughs> so what did everybody learn? Don't do that. And then that can also link into patterns of behavior where the leader is always the smartest person in the room and because they always were the smartest person in the room. But if they really want to get to the next level, they need to have somebody else come up with an idea that may approach the problem differently from them and may not be what they they thought would happen and and allowing allowing that difference. I want to move on to igniting integrity and responsibility. It's the second of the essential aspects of leadership that you discuss in the book. Doug, you've written in the past about the importance of morality, taking principled stands. How does that relate to igniting integrity and responsibility? One of my previous works that I co-authored with Fred Keel, who's now deceased, is what you're referring to, moral intelligence. And Chuck and I write about that as well. Basically, what we originally were inspired by is the gross negligence of extraordinary companies that or large companies that people thought were extraordinary. So companies like Enron and Global Crossing and Tyco and Lehman Brothers and on and on. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of them. 
And, and what we realized is the lack of morality in the workplace is very expensive. And mm. so we decided, let's try to bring it back. And, and we recognized that there are some principles that apply to humankind. And that makes up what Chuck and I talk about as the principal part of our ideal self. Ideally, I choose my own values, but I also ideally respect universal principles. Mm. There are principles that apply to humankind and understanding those is where our moral intelligence rests. So moral intelligence is knowing right from wrong. We are blessed with a conscience. Mm. So humans are born to be moral, just like we are born to be lingual, to learn language. Right. So the language we learn or languages is about both our nature and our nurture. That's also true of individuals. And what happens is that little baby in us develops this consciousness, the consciousness, not conscious, right, right. conscience. We are blessed with a conscience. We learn right from wrong. And we are also blessed with free will. We, we have the free will to follow our conscience or not. So that's another blessing. And But we have to learn how to use our free will to be morally competent. I have been morally intelligent and morally incompetent in the same moment, meaning I knew I was doing something wrong when I did it. Oh. But the data say that if I can marry the intelligence with the competence and the integrity is about the morality and the responsibility is about the morality. Those are moral principles. And if we can ignite those, and Chuck already listed the behavioral competencies of integrity, tell right. the truth, stand up what's right. Responsibility is similar. I'm responsible for, for doing something to serve others. I'm responsible for my own choices and my and I'm responsible for the mistakes I made. And I got to own them. And if I can do that, then I can be an inspiring leader. If we ignite, it, and it really is a fire, a responsible, integral organization is a high-performing organization. It's essential. We link the two. They're two separate principles, but we put them together. That's so interesting. One other question has to do with achieving purposeful goals. And you discuss quantifiable versus being goals. I thought it was really interesting. And I wanted you to explain what they were and how they were different from one another. Well, something like, I want to be a good father, not someday, today. And it's not quantifiable so much as good fathers do X of this, Y of that, and so of that. So some goals are state of being goals. And so what we tend to quantify are not the goals in a state of being goals, but rather the activities. So to be successful, you need not only quantifiable goals, but also being goals. Would you say then the KPIs for the state of being goals are activities that are proxies for those things? But what's tricky is to make sure that you align them. Is it possible to have KPIs for being goals? Oh, yeah, for sure. You can have and, and any, by the way, the result goals, even those that you can measure, they're just measurements along the way on your journey. It's the journey that it's all about, not the achievement of the goal. The achievement of the goal is a momentary thing. So I have an annual goal, 
Oh, well, the year ended and I'm done. What's that mean? It's over. Well, it's not over. That was just a part of your life's journey. They're just flagpoles. Because otherwise, if you think achieving the quantified, quantifiable goal will make your life wonderful, you're, you're missing the boat. It's the enjoyment of becoming the ideal self. I want to be my ideal self. And when I am, I feel very good. And what Chuck and I are saying is anybody who chooses to do the things that it takes to be who they would ideally like to be more often is going to love their life more. So right. if you want to love your life, read the book. We were, we were talking about the WDYWFY, what do, you, what do you want for yourself? And we practice this in our company. It's We talk about what are our goals as a firm, but then each of us has our own individual goals. And what I started a few years ago is not only the goals that I want to achieve, but the qualities I want to demonstrate. What, what are the things of kindness, generosity, patience? I mean, I have a list I actually keep on my phone that I will review periodically. And am I am I back to self-awareness and looking in the mirror? Am I demonstrating those things? And some sometimes, hopefully most of the time, I am. And sometimes I fall short. And if I fall short, I get a chance to correct that. That's so interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me in conversation. I really appreciate it. The book is very, very rich. There's a lot there. As you say, it's a workbook that people can use to help themselves improve. Thank you so much. You bet, Gabrielle. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, very happy. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Nutton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.